Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Ben from Who Scored and Jonathan Wilson to talk through the Premier League action that's coming up this weekend. It's Thursday at the time of recording, so a couple of Premier League games haven't happened, but there's been a few games already that we can touch on briefly before we get into the weekend. Ben and Liverpool last night. Another another win, one nil. Darwin Nunez looked lively for the for the time he was on the pitch. He, he was bright. Three and three, I think he scored. Now he's he's coming good, isn't he? Yeah, it's um must be a welcome reprieve for Klopp to see that his big money strike is now actually starting to get the goals. Um, doesn't lack the confidence at all. I mean, you can see the amount of shots that he had. He had six last night and scored the one in the um, fifty-seven minutes he was on the pitch. So, I mean. It, it, it looks like it's starting to click for him, which is kind of ideal timing for Liverpool. Um, they still don't have a midfield, so if he can get the goals, then that should be a huge boost for them. Yeah, and they're picking up all kinds of injuries as well, Jonathan, but two clean sheets in a row as well, which after the way they've been defending is probably huge. Yeah, I mean, they got away with it slightly against West Ham, obviously with the penalty, but Beyond that, I thought they were they were significantly the better side. I think it'll be the defensive performance uh, against City that will will please them more than last night. Um, but Nunez, I'm I'm sort of I'm I have to say I'm I'm still sort of uh, a bit perplexed by him. So even against City, even though you missed those or wasted those three one on ones late on, what I would say is he somehow attracted the ball, c- caused things to happen. And it was a point uh, that the Irish journalist Ken Early made to me that it looked terrible in missing those three chances, particularly the fact that on two of them he just chose the wrong option and the other one, like one of the worst attempts to chip a ball I've seen this out of Jeff Whitley. Uh, But in the time he was on the pitch, Erling Haaland touched the ball three times and one of those was a kickoff. So which would you rather have, the bloke failing silently or the bloke failing really, really noisily and I think the the, the there's, a, there's a there's a clumsiness about Nunez. Yeah, I thought which, that. Which may I, it may be that he hits a patch of form and that that disappears. Uh, and I, I guess you can say they're not quite the same but in terms of build. He and Holland are, are not dissimilar strikers, but he has not hidden at all. Every game he's played, he's been massively involved in for better and often for worse. And I think that. So, I mean, there's a danger of he goes a bit Timo Werner, but um, is you know he he is he yeah you know, he, he just sort of sense things are happening when he's there, and I think that's not a bad quality to have. And you're quite apart from the goal, which is a brilliant header. There was that volley that hit the post, uh, but he does seem to be somebody who's better when the ball's in the air. He's a really good volleyer of the ball, but he seems to scuff it when it's on the ground. So. Um, I guess they've just got to give him more volley chances. And I, I think the, the other question you'd have about him is if they are going to play that 4 2 3 1 or 4 4 2, whatever you want to call it, do he and Salah work well together? Or would you rather have Firmino dropping deep and creating space for Salah? Um, so that's, 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 that's still the question. But I think after after Sunday, it's it's probably a good thing that, that Nunez played so well so soon afterwards. 
Yeah, and obviously the six points for Liverpool, massive if they are to get themselves back into contention for the title. Then the biggest talking point from Wednesday night's game came right at the end when Cristiano Ronaldo decided he couldn't wait that extra couple of minutes and had to make a scene and storm down the tunnel. What did you make of that? It's pathetic, for want of a better word. Um, his team are 2 nil up. They're playing incredible football, probably the best United have played in years. And... Obviously, they're doing it without him, and he just decides to make it all about himself again by storming up down the tunnel. Um, we know that he doesn't really want to be there now. Ten Hag is a bit apprehensive about using him, which is fair enough because he wants to stamp in his own system. But just to act like that when you know your team are beating a good Tottenham team um, is just—it's pathetic. But you, yeah, pathetic. Do you think it's because he didn't get on at all, or is it? It's an overall thing of the last three to four months, Jonathan, because, I mean, in, in all fairness, you know, they're turning up in a game like that. They're probably not going to bring him on, are they? It would be unnecessary to bring him on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're being harsh on him. He's, he's getting on a bit. Maybe, you know, maybe his blood is just not as strong as it used to be. Maybe you just have to go. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, I mean, I can tell you, I'm a similar age. That can happen now. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I very rarely make it to a night now. Um I, and I, yeah, I, that, that's that's the that's the downside of modern football and players being able to go on longer. That maybe maybe we need to make halves shorter uh, so that they yeah they, they they don't have that pressure on their bladder, which <laughs> which I think must be very uncomfortable, uh, especially in in public view like that. Uh, but if it isn't that, then I mean, yeah, that's the United's best performance in a long, long time. Um, I guess. But I guess, you know, answer to your question is, is, is you're not going to bring him on at 2 0. Well, you're not going to bring him on at 4 0 down, which found out the City game. You're not going to bring him on when you're 2 0 up. What, what, what's the moment when you do bring him on? Like when, when it's level? Well, is, is that the only time he's got to function now to, to come on with 10 minutes to go to maybe nick a header from a corner? I mean, that's a pretty, pretty rapid uh, demotion. Um, but yeah, he's. United should never have signed him. They should have done everything they could to get rid of him in the summer. And I'm sure now they will do everything to get rid of him. But it is the problem of bringing him in, whoever, whichever club you are, doesn't matter how big a club you are, you become FC Ronaldo when he joins you and he will always be the story. So, so that, that performance, which, as I say, is as good as I've seen United play in, well, certainly well over a year, uh, is overshadowed by another, another Ronaldo story. Well, let's look a little bit more at Manchester United. They travelled to Stamford Bridge to play Chelsea this weekend. And I saw first-hand Jonathan Mason Mount this weekend, shining since Graham Potter took over a couple of goals, his first goals of the season at Villa Park. And he's just quite a unique player because he's got got a little bit of everything as a midfielder. He's so lively. He never stops running, both going forwards and going backwards. And he's a good player, despite some criticism that he does get. Yeah, I don't really understand the criticism. I guess it's because he's not necessarily sort of flashy. But managers clearly love him. Every manager he's worked for, yeah, Lampard, Southgate, Tuchel, they've all loved him as well. Uh, they talk about him being a tactically incredibly astute player, which is something I think, you know, when you don't know what the tactical plan is, for, for sort of lay people just watching the game, not analysing it, can be difficult to pick up. But yeah, the, the what he got uh, two assists against Wolves, uh, the two goals against Villa got uh, 
uh, and the assist against Milan, got the goal against Germany for England. So whatever little dip that was he had at the beginning of the season, that that's over and he's yeah, he's he's back to his best. Now whether that is Potter giving him more freedom and Tuchel gave him, whether it is just that like so many of those players he played for England in June, he was knackered. Uh, I don't know, but but yeah, he's he's back to his best now, which uh, at a time when most of the news for England heading into the World Cup is pretty pretty negative, I think could be a, a huge positive. Yeah, a boost for England that he's coming into form at the right time, Ben. And playing under Potter now, I mean, he changes formation a lot through the game. And Jonathan mentions how tactically astute Mount is. A player like that will, will be important for Chelsea because I think he played two or three different positions against Villa on Sunday. Yeah, um, you look at kind of how Potter used Pascal Gross in kind of a similar setup. Uh, not similar setup per se, but Gross had this kind of versatility to play anywhere across the attack and even at right wing back once or twice. Um, and Mason Mount has that kind of same versatility, but can give you a very good eight out of 10 performance each time because he is just that tactically, like he's basically a peg that will fit in every hole essentially on that front line, which is perfect for potable. Yeah, so, so switched on, such a good player. And someone who, unfortunately, was switched on on Sunday, probably had the best game he's ever had in a Chelsea shirt, Jonathan. Kepper, I was, it was a pleasure for me to see him have to have that game against Aston Villa. I think he made six or seven saves. He made about three saves, four saves in one attack. He's looking like the undisputed number one now. Yeah, I'd say he is. Uh, the, the one thing you'd slightly question, um, I, mean, I think Chelsea are in a, a rare position where they've got two very good goalkeepers. There's, you know, there's not an obvious hierarchy there. On form, I agree, Kepa looks brilliant. Whether against more physical teams, um, so maybe even against Brentford uh, on uh, Wednesday night, maybe there's an argument to play Mendy as, as being better at dealing with crosses. But Kepa's shot-stopping at the minute is is sensational. And I, 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 I'm, I'm sure he will play against United, and, and rightly so. And it's good. You know, it's, I think it's very easy for us to... A player comes in for a big fee, he has a slightly difficult start, and then you write him off. Well, Kepa's obviously a good goalkeeper. He might not necessarily be the right fit for Chelsea, but to write him off immediately, I think it's a sort of tendency in modern football. And, and maybe this is proof that occasionally we should be a bit more patient. A good thing for Potter as well, I suppose, Jonathan, because he's kind of landed on it because he was forced to do it when, when he came in because, because Mendy was injured. And sometimes as a manager, you need that little bit of luck. But just Potter's such, well, such a good man, manager as well. Yeah, Mendy's form had had deteriorated, and I guess that would then be a big call to say it's, this has deteriorated so far. We're bringing in the other guy. The injury does make it easy for him to do that. Um, but yeah, Potter does. I mean, I, you know, you look back at some of the stuff he did uh, at Ostersund when you know you've been putting on performances of Swan Lake and things, all about sort of personal development. And I, I'm not suggesting he's going to start putting on ballets at Stamford Bridge, but he's clearly very aware of ways you create squad togetherness, ways you can get players to develop. And I, I'm not aware of any of the four clubs he's been at or, or, or you know, even with that stint he had with the uh, Ghana women's team or with Hull University or anything like that, of him ever falling out with anybody. Uh, so that suggests a real sort of emotional intelligence, which which I, I wonder whether in modern football that's becoming slightly rarer, that... that you know, it's so focused on systems and, and getting the organisation right that, that maybe that, that capacity to to motivate players is is becoming slightly undervalued. Um, I mean, Klopp clearly has it. Um, 
but but maybe that is a uh, a string to Potter's bow that that a lot of other top coaches don't have. Yeah, and I know they drew nil nil on on Wednesday night, Ben. But Potter also about keeping people happy. He's literally getting everyone involved at the moment because the team's changing so much on a game to game basis. Pretty much everyone is getting football at the moment. Yeah, and that's the good thing about Potter is he was quite unpredictable to pick uh, to pick his ideal eleven each week um, at Brighton because he would keep chopping and changing and. As Jonathan said, he's never really annoyed anyone. Um, he's never gotten anyone's bad books. He seems just a very likable character. And the fact that he's bringing all the Chelsea players in, they do have a very inflated squad, um, means he's keeping everyone in the good books. And if you keep everyone in the good books, they'll play for the manager. And it has a very positive effect on how the team plays as a whole. Yeah, he's getting the results as well unbeaten so far since he's gone in at Chelsea. And Ben, Josh has left us, left for pastures new, but he did leave us with a... A poor parting gift, I'm going to say now, because he had a few criticisms of Bruno Fernandes, but then Bruno Fernandes went on to have, he's probably one of his best games he's had in a long time for Manchester United last night. And all of Josh, Josh's criticisms, they weren't true last night. Yeah, um, this is the kind of the Fernandes of old that we've seen in United's shirt. It's the one that looked at his best when he first signed. He took the Premier League by storm in that second half of that uh, season when he arrived in January 2019 or 2020. I can't remember which one. Um Neither can I. <laughs> uh, he made... 2020, nine... I'm going to say. I think it was 2020. It was just before yeah. COVID, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he made nine key passes last night against Tottenham, which is a very good feat. It was the uh, most in a Premier League match this season. And I think the most since the start of last season where Fernandes actually made 10 key passes against Villa. Um, at first, there was the criticism of giving him the four-year contract before Ten Hag had officially joined. Um, and in Merson said, why would you do that to for a player who the manager might not like? And initially, he kind of felt as though Merson would be proved right. But then last night was one of those instances where Fernandez is at his just brilliant best in the final third. I mean, there's still criticism to be made about his overall distribution. Um, he might not make the right pass and he might get a bit annoyed with teammates. But when... He's playing as he did last night. There's absolutely no reason to drop him. Yeah, I mean the commentator on the, the I was watching it on on Amazon last night. Jonathan, he kind of they kind of said I think it was a, he threw it to Alan Shearer that Fernandez just looks freer when Ronaldo's not playing. He doesn't look like he doesn't look as I don't know what the, what the word is like bogged down when when Ronaldo's on on the pitch. And he he did take that game by the scruff of the neck last night. Was was a real leader. He's the captain at, at the moment on the, on the football pitch when when Maguire's not there, and he was just so good last night. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an issue Portugal have got as well. That uh, you know, what do you do with an aging Ronaldo who clearly does inhibit the team? I, I wonder as well whether that Casemiro Fred pairing at the back of midfield provided a platform for him. That I, I yeah, you know, Christian Eriksen is is clearly a brilliant footballer, but maybe playing him deep in midfield doesn't quite give you the defensive security <coughs> you might like. Uh, and that Casemiro Fred pairing, yeah, you know, it is Brazil's first choice pairing, and they they go in the World Cup as as favourites. Uh, so it's it's you know it's it's not something that that sounds natural yet, but but it's been working for for Chiche in Brazil. So you think, well, why why wouldn't that work at least in the short term for United? So yeah, absence of Ronaldo, presence of those two, possibly that is the the environment that that, that Fernandez needs. Because when I mean, Josh's criticism, I think, was entirely valid. I think I think Fernandez has been ponderous at times this season, um, but 
He was he was superb last night. Yeah, it did just all seem to click into gear last night, Jonathan. And although he didn't score, Marcus Rashford playing centrally, he led the line very well as well. Stretched stretched the Tottenham defence and freed up space for others with some of his movement. I mean, he, I don't know how he hasn't scored in the in the game last night. Lloris had a good game, to be fair to him. But even just Rashford leading that line last night, he didn't score, but it was so effective for them. Yeah, I mean, they're good performances everywhere. I, th- I think Diego Dalot as well. That's probably as well as I've seen him play in the United shirt. So yeah, I, I think. The, the the forward line is look, I, I think the team as a whole is a long way from what Ten Hag would would envisage in the long term. But the forward line, I think you are starting to see a little bit of the fluency and and, and um the interchanges that, that he would want. Uh, I think that helps Fernandes as well. You know, if if a, if a players in front of him are moving in ways to facilitate and to pass the ball quicker, then obviously that ponderousness will will go. So last night was the first time I sort of thought, ah, actually, this this might not just be a team that scrapes at the fourth, but it might be a team that it's probably not this season, but next season uh, with another year of development, maybe two or three more players coming in, a couple of the the slower, older players being phased out. Maybe they 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 could be outside title challenges. It's interesting you say about the Casemiro and Fred partnership because I thought that worked very well last night as well. But well, Fred was brilliant. Yeah, but Ericsson kind of needs to be in the team. And if he's not playing in one of those deep midfield positions, where, where's he playing? You can play him in the Fernandes role when Fernandes isn't there. And, and given the, the nature of his schedule, you know, um, rotation is is even more essential than it mm. usually is. So you know, just, just to put in mind how crazy the schedule is, if this was a normal World Cup season, last weekend would have been the final round of Premier League fixtures. This weekend would be the FA Cup final. So most players, and then you obviously you'd have the Champions League final after that, but most players would have finished last weekend to have a month of preparation for the World Cup. And we've got three more rounds of Premier League fixtures after this weekend, plus two Champions League, plus a, um, a League Cup. So yeah, the, the, the schedule is, is absurd. So having two players in one position, I, I've, I think this season of all seasons isn't really a problem anymore. I've not, not looked at it like that. That's, that's an interesting viewpoint, Jonathan. And Ben, just to finish on this game, if you had to put money on one of these teams finishing in the top four, which one would it be? Oh, <laughs> you put me on the spot there. Um, I have. If they play like they did last night, Man United, but then obviously it's an isolated incident per se, and that's the kind of the first time we've seen them in the Ten Hag sort of mould. Um I would probably say United, just because Chelsea have the injury issues in midfield that could sort of impair them further down the line. Obviously, we've got the World Cup, so there'll be players that aren't going to have time to recuperate. But I think it might be that United just pip it to uh, to fourth if you know push comes to shove. It'd be United ahead of Chelsea, in my opinion. I think at the minute probably both will. I think Tottenham could easily fall out. Okay. Um, but if you ask me who I think will finish higher, I'd, I'd probably still just go Chelsea. Um, partly because they, they have a small lead already and partly, I mean, they haven't lost under Potter. So um, I think yeah, I think United's squad in certain, a couple of injuries in certain areas, particularly the forward line, I think could look pretty thin pretty quickly. And your score prediction, please, Jonathan? 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one. Ben? Yeah, 1-1 one, one as well. 1-1 one, one as well. I want to go big. Well, I'm big because I'm not predicting loads of goals there. I think Manchester United might win 2-1. I watched Villa get at Chelsea very heavily and not score. I think they can be got at and I think Manchester United will do that. 
but they'll probably score goals as well. So, yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 to Manchester United. Next up, we're going to look at Tottenham v Newcastle, Jonathan, and there's been a lot of people shouting for Spurs with this 3-5-2. They played it last night against Manchester United. The hand was forced a little bit because they didn't have Richarlison and they didn't have Kudazewski. But I would say, and I was saying to you before we came on, I think when they play that 3-5-2, there's an alarming lack of creativity in that side. There's suddenly a lot on Harry Kane to, to make things happen with his passing. I think that's also true in the 3-4-3. Three, three. I, I think creativity is the big problem that Tottenham have. I think that's why Kulisevsky looks so important to him because he is the player who links that forward line to the midfield. And, and to an extent, if he's playing there, that 3-4-3 three, three is sort of a 3-4-1-2-1-2 and, and that just feels much better balanced. I think there's a real danger of that yeah, the, the, whether it's a front two or a front three without Kulisevsky becoming a bit detached um, and that A makes it harder to get the ball to them but B it also means that there's a huge amount of pressure on the on the two centre midfielders if it is a 3-4-3 three, three. so I, yeah I, I think that, that's been the disappointment uh, with them this season that they they just look a bit predictable through midfield and I'm not really sure why that's changed from the end of last season apart from the, you know, the absence recently of Kulisevsky. Yeah, Hoybier has been on, been on the score sheet in, in recent games, Ben. You're, you're, you're a Spurs fan. What what do you make of their setup at the moment? I mean, they, they were not a good watch last night. I was I was surprised with actually how bad they were. Yeah, I think a lot of Tottenham fans, were. I know a lot were pining for 3-5-2, um, myself included. We did, Spurs have looked better in a 3-5-2 against Leicester and against Everton and Brighton. They put in that solid performance uh, to get that 1-0 win. Um but last night, it just felt like they were a bit overawed by the occasion. Um, you look at Basuma, every second touch he made was a tackle, essentially, because his first one was that poor that he had to go and win it back again. It's difficult because the three-five-two gives you the great, it should in theory give you great protection of the defence, but that wasn't the case last night. The three-four-three does look a bit open in the middle of the park um, with Hoiberg and Bentoncourt. And again, as Jonathan said without Kulisevsky, it doesn't really work as well as it should because Richarlison is a good signing, a very good signing for Tottenham. He offers that versatility on the front line. is covered for all the three positions, but he doesn't have that same guard as Kulisevsky does to get on the ball, get his head up and pick a pass. Um, there's a, you know, an argument to be made that Kulisevsky could play in theory in that number 10 role and sort of move yeah. to 3 four, one, two. But it's a tough one um, at the moment because... Conte was saying that he can play 3-4-3 and put Lucas Moore in there, but Lucas Moore doesn't really offer much. But then he moved to the 3-5-2 and you could argue that he feels justified that he wants to stick to the 3-4-3 because 3-5-2 didn't work at all last night. Yeah, the, the three in central midfield, Jonathan, they were kind of doing the same job. They're similar players in, in a lot of ways for me. Is, am, am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, I, th I think so. There's, there's no there's no sort of Ericsson figure. Um there's nobody who's, who's necessarily going to unpick the lock. So it, it then, the creativity comes very much about uh, winning the ball back. And I know Conte hates the word countering, but attacking in transition maybe is the best way of putting it. And, and that's fine up to a point, but I think it is why Tottenham often look quite um, uh, quite staid against teams who sit deep against them, who, who don't give that space behind to, to attack. Um and you, you think you get against Newcastle who play a four-three-three. If you play that back three, then it's effectively three picking up one. The wing backs have to pick up 
the the Newcastle wingers. So if it is three four three, the two in midfield, the ten centre midfield for Tottenham are going to be overmanned by the the three of of Newcastle. So I mean, clearly you can fiddle that round. You can push the wing backs more into midfield to 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 counter that. But that then means you, you, your back three has to be incredibly well organised that one becomes the covering defender and one picks up the winger and that won't be constant who's doing that. So it, it, it's... And, and then, yeah, you've got the issue that that um, you've got to do a huge amount of work through the... If it's a 3-4-3, three, three, through the two wide forwards to, to pin in the Newcastle fullbacks. So it would seem to me for this game that... Uh, a three-five-two would make more sense just to prevent that issue getting overmanned in midfield. Yeah, Ben, on on the selection, you could argue that Tottenham's best team, best eleven when everyone's fit, doesn't include anyone that they signed in in the summer at the at the moment, which is maybe a little bit of a, of a concern. And Jed Spence came on for a brief cameo last night. Emerson Royale suspended at the moment. Doherty's largely done okay for, for Spurs, but if you look at that eleven, if you pick the best one. I don't think any of the summer signings are in there at the moment. I think there's an argument to be made that um, Longley would be in there ahead of Davies. I think Longley's better at sort of his distribution is of a high standard of Davies, but then Davies has the uh, being a left back by trade. He has that ability to kind of cover out towards the left, which Longley doesn't really have. Um, and Perisic as well out on at left wing back. You could argue he is maybe better. Uh, getting the ball into the box than Cessna is at the moment. But it's there's not much in it. So, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Spurs fan that would really argue your point um, because, yeah, I mean, the summer signings don't feel like they have the... The, the summer signings just don't feel like they can like make that impact that many thought they would when they first joined. Yeah, because a lot of people, myself included, said Spurs had won the transfer window, Jonathan, but Conte, I'm starting to get vibes of frustration again. Look, it was a squad that lacked depth, and it now has a bit of depth. Yeah. So it, it has improved that. I don't think the wing-backs situation has been resolved at all. I mean, I, I think that's an area where Spurs are notably weak at the moment. Um, And, and then, yeah, Richarlison, yeah, it's been odd that when he's come on, he's looked lively. And so you had that spell the first few weeks of the season when you thought, well, he's playing better than Son. Maybe you play with Richarlison instead of Son. Um, but you think, well, Son was, you know, top scorer last season. You can't, you can't, you don't really want to be leaving him out. His partnership with Kane is so good. But it's you need Kulisevsky for the balance. So then it's, well, where does Richarlison actually fit? Unless there's an injury. And then even if there is an injury to Kulisevsky, we're now thinking, well, maybe that, that front three doesn't work anyway. So I, I, I guess that's the the... The dangerous signings that uh, they 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 can seem good in theory, and then until you actually work, you know, use them in practice, you don't quite know how how players will fit together. I suppose it is early days, and Conte has taken his time integrating some of some of the new signings into the team. So there's still plenty of time for them to come good. And Jonathan Harry Kane start to the season. He didn't score last night against Manchester United, but he's been pretty good in front of goal. His stats are right up there. One of his best starts to the season, if not his best start ever, Harry Kane. Because Haaland scored so many goals, I suppose his numbers have gone under the radar a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And I mean, he's got, what, 9 and 11, is it? But I mean, yeah. uh, three three penalties of those nine, I think. Maybe, maybe even four. So, look, he's, he's famously doesn't score goals in August. Well, uh he had a much quicker start than than usual in that regard. And again, you know, we're talking about England and the World Cup. 
I don't think you know, Kane's form is not a worry for the World Cup. No, uh, at, at the moment, I mean, he's got seven more games to get himself injured in, but for now, uh, he, you know, he's somebody you feel relatively secure in. So yeah, he, like he's not doing what Holland's doing, but but nobody is. He's he's had a very efficient and good start, and in another year, we'd be we'd probably be raving about him. But Holland, quite understandably, overshadows all else. Yeah, someone else who's had a good start, Sven Botman, Ben. Again, maybe going under the radar a little bit. Newcastle have only conceded six goals in the eight games he's played. They're keeping clean sheets. And Botman, again, he, he looks an astute summer signing. Yeah, there was the concern that maybe his lack of pace would be found out in the Premier League. But he's slotted in seamlessly in that Newcastle defence. I mean, it was out of chance that he got his opportunity in there because of injury to Matt Target. So that forced Eddie Howe to put Dan Burnett left back and Botman in there. But since then, uh, he and Newcastle haven't really looked back. I mean, they've only conceded more than one goal in one game that he has started, and that was that crazy three-wheel draw against Man City. So they do have one of the best offensive records in the Premier League. They do this season, if not, you know, one of the best this year. And as you say, he's his, his form for Newcastle has gone under the radar just because Newcastle have been picking up points. A lot of the focus has been on Trippier being excellent at right back again but a key a key reason for those clean sheets and keeping opponents out is because of Sven Botman yeah it's like they're quietly going about their business Newcastle Jonathan yeah I mean they had that spell where they were dominating games but not winning them uh, and then the the Chalibur sending off for Fulham sort of sparked them into life and then Brentford had that dreadful game against them but they I mean I know they only won 1-0 against Everton last night but they were much the better side that could have been 2 or 3-0 quite easily so I think there is a sense, and partly it was injuries. I mean, getting Callum Wilson back makes a big difference. Sam Maxman's still out, um, but Almiron's playing really well at the moment. Um, Gimaraj had a slightly slow start of the season because he was playing, maybe not a slow start, but he was less involved in creating chances because he was playing deeper. Um, so yeah, I think there is a sense of things sort of falling into place now. And when you draw a lot of games early in the season, it can go either way. If you suddenly follow up with two or three defeats, everybody's like, oh, well, they've only won twice in the last 12 or whatever. Well, it's now they've only lost uh, a couple of games in yeah so far this season. So I mean, this is a test for them, obviously. But um, yeah, they, they I, I was starting to think, are they gonna are they gonna think Eddie Howe by sorting out the defensive issues that that we thought he may have that he had at Bournemouth? Has he lost something going forward? But it it, it feels over the last sort of two or three weeks so that that balance is is returning as players have returned from injury. Is it a case for Newcastle now of just getting to, getting to the World Cup in and around the top six, Jonathan? Because they have got injuries. You said it's about St. Maxim, and I think Isak's ruled out until after the World Cup now as well. Is it just a case of continuing to go quietly about business and just getting to the, the World Cup in contention in and around the top six? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I guess the question is, what is their ambition this season? And I guess that was the, the, be my next the, absolute, the absolute height of their ambition, I think, will be fourth. But that, that would take an extraordinary number of things to go right and other teams to, to fail. I think what you can say is now they, they, they do have a depth of squad that they can handle three or four injuries, which they have been dealing with this season. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think they they would probably... Re- realistically, they're looking at Europa League qualification. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they to secure that, obviously, you, know, you need to be top six. So it's a knocking around the top six. And I think also there's a psychological issue with the top six. That, you know, we talk of the big six and then Newcastle as a seventh force, you may join them. So in a sense, anything above seventh is, you know, is, is overperforming. You know, they're, they're, they're shaking up the established order. 
so yeah, sixth or seventh of Christmas, and then yeah, I, 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 I don't know if they would want to bring in a couple more players in January, but maybe, maybe isolate a couple of them. I mean, the fact that they're without um, Shah and Kraft at the minute, whether they think they need a, an extra defensive presence, I, I don't know. I think the back in midfield, they're, they're pretty reliant on mm. Shelby, his injury record isn't great. So there's a couple of areas there you think, yeah, maybe they, they, they could upgrade slightly. Um, but yeah, 6th or 7th of Christmas and then yeah, see if it can kick on to 5th or 6th and, and who knows, maybe even higher. Sounds good. That's Newcastle trending in the right direction, as I like to say, and I've already used that term twice in this podcast. Ben, mm. can I have a non-biased score prediction from you, please? Uh, I'm going to have to go for one on one again. Can't see Tottenham getting a win. Okay. I can see Tottenham getting the win. I'm going to go for 1-0 to Tottenham. Jonathan? Well, Spurs have won every home game so far this season, haven't they? But uh, they were so poor against United that I think I'm also going to say 1-1. 1-1. Very good. Let's move on now then to the just a minute section. And Jonathan, you're up first. European Cup winners galore here. Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. Yeah, a massive game from uh, 40-odd years ago. But... uh, (laughs) Those were the days, and I wasn't even born, but they were better yeah. days. They were better days, yeah. Not because you weren't born, just to be clear. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Forest, uh, I think they have improved slightly recently, but still no win since since that first home game of the season. Um, at least the last three games have yielded two points and just two goals conceded in that time, which, given how they were leaking goals before, that perhaps suggests some kind of structure uh, is being imposed. Like they've only scored once in those three games. Um yeah, injuries with them, it's very hard to know how significant they are because it's very hard to know what, what team um, uh, they'd like to be playing. Uh, but they have got five players out. Liverpool, I think, slowly improving up to seven, three wins in a row uh, since the defeated Arsenal. Uh, they've got a huge number of injuries still. Uh, Diaz, Matip, Keita, Kanate, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Arthur Mello, Jota. Short of options up front, but I think they should still have too much for Forest. I'm going to say 2-0 to Liverpool. 2-0 to Liverpool. I'm going to go for 3-0 to Liverpool. Ben? 3-0 Liverpool as well. 3-0 Liverpool. Very good. Ben, your first game to look at is Everton against Crystal Palace. Yeah, Everton secured their Premier League safety in this game last season. As second half goals from Michael Keane, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin earned a 3-2 win over Palace. The Toffees are unbeaten seven at home against Palace now, a run that did start back in 2015. And they've won four of their last five games against the Eagles at Goodison Park. However, Frank Lampard's side do have the second worst home record in the Premier League this season, collecting just five points from 15 available. And they've scored just three times at Goodison Park, with their issues in front of goal proving a hindrance when you consider they have shipped just four times in those five games. Lampard is without long-term absentees, Patterson, Townsend and Godfrey, but Anthony Gordon returned from a ban in midweek and should keep his spot. Or Dominic Calvert-Lewin is back to fitness, which is a huge boost as they look to right their wrongs in front of goal. Uh, Palace made it two wins from three as they came behind to beat Wolves on Tuesday. Uh, second half goals from Everett Chiesa and Wolf Sahar secured all the spores at Selhurst Park. Patrick Vieira is keen to end Palace's poor away record at Everton's expense, with the Eagles yet to win in any of their four games on the road, drawing three. Uh, Vieira does have a handful of injuries to contend with for this one, though he does have his core players available f- here. He's allowed to make seeking changes to his flavour 11 despite playing three games space of a week. And I'm going for Everton 1, Crystal Palace 1 in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go nil nil. Jonathan? Also 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one draws all round. Jonathan, just quickly before we move on to your next game, it looks like Eze may well be in South Coast preliminary squad for the World Cup. What do you make of that? Well, I wish he'd been in the squad earlier. Uh, but look, he's, he's, he's clearly a really, really good player. He's clearly playing really, really well at the moment. 
Um, I think this is the problem with the 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 the, the schedule that we've you know we've already talked about. Uh, that there just hasn't been time to try players out in friendlies or to to experiment. That England's last six games have all been nation league Group A games against high class opposition, where it's difficult to break players in. But on form. You know, there's no reason not to pick him. Uh, is it an area of England that's particularly short? I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but um, I guess get him in the preliminary squad, have a look at him, and then then make your decision. Everyone's got a chance, even we've got a chance, because you can name up to 55 players in this squad, Jonathan, which just feels like such a uh, random Just to be clear, number. I am not one of the 55 best footballers no, You in may well be. If Gareth Southgate picks me, he has to go. Sometimes you just want people who are good, good in the dressing room. You may not. I'm not that either. Like, you, 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 you met me. Oh, you, you were Ronaldo, poison, poison in the dressing uh, well, room. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a Ronaldo, but yeah, I'm not <laughs> an easy not player. Come on, <laughs> not no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to you know, make anybody have fun, am I? Oh, I have fun every every. <laughs> I have fun every Thursday with you, Jonathan. Well, I've never had any uh, problems with you. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I'm alone. Just, you've never actually met me, though, have you? So that's true. Yeah. One day, one yeah. day, that day is coming soon. <laughs> Manchester City v Brighton for you, Jonathan. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for De Zerbi that um, he's taken two points from his first four games. He's sort of saying, oh, well, he hasn't won a game yet. Was this a poor appointment? But he's played against Liverpool and Tottenham, so two of the big six in those games. Then against Brentford and Forest, they, they just couldn't score. So they actually had the better XG in all four games. And against Forest, it was 2.1 to 0.2 and they ended up drawing the game. Um, so this classic Brighton problem of not being able to score just can't be shaken off. And Danny Welbeck and Charlie March are the, are the, are the two worst culprits for that, for underperforming the XG. Um, there without Moda, Matoma and Colwell, obviously Enoch and Wepu has been forced to retire. Uh, City, uh, I think they were pretty stung by Klopp's comments last Friday. Uh, I think they... Well, Guardiola certainly looked pretty fraught on the touchline at Anfield. I think there's a possibility they're slightly rattled by the way things have gone. I think it's a real shame that their game against Arsenal was called off. That could have been fascinating, a fraught mm. pep against a rampant Arsenal. Um, few injuries, Stones, Phillips, Walker out for them. Uh, and they are now four points off the top, so maybe a bit of pressure. But they did win both these fixtures last season by three goals. I think they might win this by slightly less than that. So I'm going to say 2-0 to City. 3-0 uh, City. I'm going to go for the big 4-1. I am. 4-1 to Manchester City. Ben Leeds v Fulham up next for you. As noted, we are recording on Thursday morning, so Fulham are yet to play this week. I can uh, tell you they'll probably get three points. Uh, yeah, of course, they're playing Villa, aren't they? So. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Leeds and their defensive issues were documented last season, but Jesse March has tightened them up, particularly at home. It's quite surprising. No team's conceded fewer home goals than Leeds this season. They shipped just three times, which is a very good record when you consider that they were conceding about three goals a game last season. However, they have failed to win their last three at Ellen Road and lost to Arsenal at the weekend. Um, Marshall's side are unbeaten five against Fulham and secured an entertaining 4-3 win over the Cottages in this game last season. Marcus Silva's side have now lost three of their last five, three of their five away league matches in 22-23. However, all three defeats did come in London derbies and they've actually picked up four points from those two games outside of the capital. So they do fare better when they do don't have the London derby. Um, if they pick up the three points tonight, that's a huge boost ahead of this game uh, against Leeds. As I said, we're recording before this game. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how they get on. I think there's going to be goals in this one. So I'm going to go for Leeds to win 3-2. 1-1 again. I'm going to go 2-1 to Leeds. 
Yeah, 2-1. Leeds. Jonathan, Southampton against Arsenal. Well, classic Southampton uh, this week that just when you think the pressure is becoming intolerable and Hasenhutl, just when you're about to write them off, uh, they end up uh, winning against, I mean, against Bournemouth as well. They've been in great form. Uh, Chad Adams was, looked, looked brilliant centre forward for, for parts of that game. Uh, so they're now up to 14th. Uh, I don't think the the issues there are, are sort of solved in any sense. Um, I think the squad is still very young um, and they, they possibly do lack a bit of leadership and, and, and experience. A lot of injuries as well. Livermento, uh, Belakachip, uh, Lavia, Walcott, Jallo, all that for them. Uh, Arsenal had to play PSV on, on Thursday, uh, which is why this game in City was called off. You, you think they probably would have wanted to play that game, uh, just given given their form, given the City might have been rattled. Um, but on the other hand, they've been able to rest players. Zinchenko and Smith-Rowe both out. Uh, they've won nine of the first ten. Uh, last four teams to do that went on to win the league. Uh, and they do have a four-point four, four point lead to protect. Um, Arsenal won 3-0 at the Emirates last season, but lost 1-0 at St Mary's. Uh, I think it could be tight this time. So I'm going to say 1-1 again. 2-1 uh, to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. I was going to go to 2-0 for Arsenal. 2-0 to Arsenal. Sorry. <laughs> uh, next up for you is the thrill ride that is Midlands football at the moment. Ben, it's <laughs> Wolves against Leicester. Two struggling outfits. Yeah, again, Leicester play tonight. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether they actually win again. But we'll see. Wolves actually managed a goal in midweek. And Adama Traore header, no less, which is... Impressive considering he's only had three shots with a header uh, in his Premier League career. Um, they have only scored five times in 11 games this season. However, they're also unable to hold out for the three points as they lost 2-1 at Palace. They have now lost four of their last fives. They continue to struggle at the wrong end of the table. Uh, Ryan Knight Nuri missed the midweek loss and interim boss Steve Davis deserved praise for Hugo Bueno for his performance. Even if the former is fit, Bueno may keep his place at left-back. However, their quest for goals are hardly... Uh, Hardly aids the absences of Jimenez and Neto, among others. Hardly aids their quest for goals. Leicester remains stuck in the relegation zone after 11 matches as pressure continues to mount on Brendan Rodgers. They have lost all five matches on the road this season, but their trip to the Molyneux, trip to Molyneux presents with a perfect chance to turn their away fortunes around. That said, the Foxes haven't gotten the better of Wolves in Mol- at Molyneux since a 2-1 win there back in 2006. And I'm going to go for a... 0-0 draw. 0-0. 1-1 from me, Jonathan. 1-1 from me. 1-1 from you as well. Jonathan, you're finishing with Aston Villa against Brentford. Could be a pivotal game for Steve and Gerard if he's still there by the time that game comes round. If he's still there after the Fulham game tonight. So yeah. uh, before the Fulham game, Villa had just one win in seven, only four goals scored in that spell. I think that narrow formation that they play, that 4-3-2-1, really just isn't producing goals. I think that's a huge issue. And what makes that a really, really big issue is that that, that is the, the Gerard default. It, it's not that something he's he's just been using recently. It's a, that that is the way he's he's gone about things throughout his career. And if if that has been worked out by the Premier League clubs, then then that that is a big problem. Um a load of injuries for, for Villa as well. Uh, Kamara, Dean, Augustinson, um, uh, Diego Carlos out, doubts over Mings, though, given how he played uh, against Chelsea. Maybe that's not, not such a bad thing. Brentford, um, again, it's very typical of them. They had the heavy defeats against Arsenal and Newcastle, uh, but they've they, they've come back with, with a very good win against Brighton, had a better than 0-0 draw against Chelsea midweek. Uh, they're without Janssen, uh, Slokosha, uh, Hickey and Norgard. 
Uh, it was 1-1 this fixture last season, uh, Brentford winning in London. I'm going to say 1-1 again. Exactly the same, 1-1 for me. Ben? Same, 1-0. 1-0, full house of 1-1s and Villa's record against Brentford is absolutely pathetic over the years, by the way. Uh, let's finish then with West Ham v Bournemouth, Ben. Yep, West Ham's dire record at four of the big six, which is Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, continued in midweek as they lost 1-0 at Anfield. They were slightly unlucky in that Jared Bowen saw his first half penalty saved by Alisson. Um, but they were really unable to test Allison beyond that effort from 12 yards. That defeat ended a five-game unbeaten run all competitions, but back on home turf with everyone for on the trot, they'll feel confident returning to winning ways. Some of signings, Naif Agua and Lucas Paqueta, are both set to miss the welcome of Bournemouth, but they do have some depth there in both positions, so not a huge loss. Uh, the Cherries unbeaten start to life under Gary Neal due to a close on Wednesday night as Bournemouth fell to a 1-0 loss in El Clasico. Uh, that shouldn't take away what has been a solid start to life by O'Neill as Bournemouth boss. Uh, away from home, Bournemouth are unbeaten in three, drawing their last two as they seek to quickly pounce back from that 1-0 defeat to Southampton. Bournemouth have lost their last trip to West Ham, falling to a 4-0 defeat in this uh, last time they played at the London Stadium, but don't have the worst record in East London, losing just two of their last five trips to the Hammers. However, they do need to tighten up defensively, having conceded 18 times on the road, which is the second most at the time of recording. It's also worth noting that nine of those came in the loss at Liverpool. Uh, I'm going to go for West Ham to win 2-0. I'm going to go for another 1-1. Jonathan? Uh, also 2-0 to West Ham. 2-0 to West Ham. Very good. Have we got any idea on the on the league table at the, at the moment, Ben? How, how we fared last week or not? Jonathan is top th- with 35 points, followed by who scored 27, and then Daniel on 24. I'm stinking out the joint, just like I am. That's a huge... Hang on, wasn't I one point ahead last week and suddenly... Yeah, what's happened? <laughs> Josh stitching me up before he left. I, mean, I, I, I think I got 12, 12 points last week, which would... I get no points. points. Dan, Dan, you got two. Oh, that'll, that'll, that'll explain <laughs> that'll it. That'll explain it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I might as well have got zero points. Okay. <laughs> some, work, some work to do there. For. I wasn't, wasn't expecting that. Start the day with a bang. I'm terrible at fantasy football at the moment as well. Great. Bottom of the league in everything that I'm doing. Superb. Jonathan, pleased well, with that? Probably as right. pleased to see me struggling as you are to be top. Well, only because uh, you know I see you as my main rival for this crown. Oh, I'm lucky who scored. <laughs> Not at the moment. I'm well, yeah. Anything. But I, I mean, this week I've gone for seven one ones and three two nils. So, like, <laughs> if that comes up, then it's a funny set of fixtures. Had I known how badly I'd done last week, I may not have been so gregarious with my predictions this week, but we'll see how it goes. Some serious ground to be made up. And that does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. If you are enjoying them, please, then please, if you could subscribe with your post notifications on, that would really, really help us. We'll be back next Thursday to preview the weekend's Premier League action, like we always do. Thanks to Ben, thanks to Jonathan, and as ever, stay safe. <laughs>